0: In the community in spite of the pandemic. So we're going to continue with our series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this is week 39. I want to talk about mountaintop experiences. <clears throat> so chapter 7 and chapter 8, as you guys know, have been pretty rough chapters, very heavy topics. As a matter of fact, I had some people say, you know, Pastor Joe, you're getting real negative with your sermons. And it's true, a lot of them were negative, but all I can do is just preach the text that is before us, right? I can't sugarcoat it. But this week, we get a little feel-good before it gets worse. (laughs) Because as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, we're getting closer to the cross. It's become more and more intense, more more negative, a lot of pain and suffering. But today, we get a reprieve. Have you ever had a surreal spiritual moment? A mountaintop experience, if you will? Some people might even call it a God moment. Something is, that is just, it just feels so existential, so surreal, that it just can't be a coincidence. <clears throat> I mean, you know it just has to be the hand of God in your life. Maybe it was a near-death experience. Maybe some unexpected blessing that happened. Maybe it is a strange calm that came over you during a crisis. Could be many things. Maybe it was just some little moment where God gives you a little wink. Like, you know what? A nod. Through some simple sign or some unusual circumstance where he says, See, I'm still here. It's as though... God at those moments sort of like opens a door to the kingdom of heaven just a crack gives us a quick glimpse in and then the door closes they're unmistakably there we've all experienced them but then they're gone just as fast as they come but they become these precious intimate, personal, memorable moments and we describe them to others I gotta tell you what happened to me And sometimes they believe us, sometimes they think we're making it all up. But they never really can appreciate it fully like you personally can, because it's your God moment, it's your mountaintop experience. These moments can be precious, they can be powerful, they can be memorable, but are they real? I mean, what is the purpose? Why does God send them? That is our topic in our passage today. We're going to read from Mark chapter 9, we're on chapter 9 verses 1-8, through and Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For Peter did not know what to say, because they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. Whoa, (laughs) this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they saw no one any longer with them, but Jesus only. Well, that's pretty good. we to look at the historical part of this passage. I want to talk about living in the past. It's been a rough few weeks for the disciples, right? Very rough couple of chapters, verses, our chapters 7 and 8. <coughs> Jesus started off by healing and feeding and embracing Gentiles of all people, declaring them to be just as important to the kingdom of God as Jewish people. That sucked for them. And then Jesus blasts the political elites, the conservative Pharisees, the liberal Sadducees. He blasts them both. He declares allegiance to neither. Then Jesus reveals to his disciples he is not going to be that military political messiah they have been so longly waiting for. And Peter tries to correct Jesus on this, about being the suffering messiah, And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Remember that from last week? That was a little embarrassing for Peter. Then Jesus teaches his disciples that following him is not going to be easy. They will have to suffer, maybe even die. They've seen miracles. They've seen healings. They've seen feedings. They've seen powerful teaching. But chapter eight was harsh. Their dreams are in the process of being crushed. In addition, the realities of the cross have taken them and shaken them to their core. It's caused tremendous anxiety. They know this is coming now, but it's very scary. A dying Messiah is a very disturbing concept for them. And the last few weeks have rocked their world to its core in so many ways. A little affirmation would be nice about right now, wouldn't it? But they just can't let go. After all they've seen, after all they've heard, they still don't want to embrace the message of a suffering Messiah. It's just too much. They don't want to accept their rabbi and friend is going to be tortured, wrongfully accused, and then killed a gruesome death by Roman authority on the cross. And so facing a future of suffering and grief and loss and pain and the death of their political and personal dreams, it's all very frightening. It's all very discouraging. It's all very daunting. They're exhausted. They're concerned. And if ever a group needed encouragement, a sign from God that he is real, this is the group. This is the moment. They need a moment that they can look back on to remember so that when it gets bad again in later chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11, as it gets worse, something they can look back on so they can see, oh yeah, and they'll be able to make it through to the other side. They're only human, and Jesus knows this about them, and he has a precious mountaintop experience waiting for Peter, James, and John. And then we have this idea of the historical part. I want to explain about Moses and Elijah in this passage. So, Peter, James, and John, you know, they're good Jewish boys. They would understand who Moses and Elijah are. These men, Moses and Elijah, are the most revered, respected men in Jewish history. It's not even close. Yes, they're even more important than King David or King Solomon, the kingdom and the throne they hope is reestablished, Moses and Elijah are more critical to them. There are only three area eras, did you know, only three moments or eras in the Bible where God does miraculous stuff. Did you know that? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Those are the three times. It's pretty stunning. And Moses is their most famous political leader in Israel's history. He he freed them from Egyptian captivity. You remember that. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Is that five? Yes, that's five. He was God's conduit for the Ten Commandments. Remember, he went up the mountain and got the tablets and brought them down and threw them down because they were worshiping a cow. He is revered. Moses is. He's, He's admired. And there's only one maybe, besides Jesus, there's only one maybe that is Moses' equal, and it would be Elijah, who is the greatest prophet in Israel's history. He's the only equal. He was a defender of the truth. He was a powerful voice of God when he was alive. He displayed tremendous courage and fearlessness as he battled pagan, sinful, Jewish kings who wanted to kill him because he was standing up for God, but he didn't care. He went forward and he fought for justice and truth. Elijah, in fact, just so you understand how important Elijah was, Elijah is the only reason Israel didn't just completely give up and abandon faith and become a completely pagan nation just like all the other nations that surrounded them. Israel was right on the verge of becoming just like the Philistines had it not been for Elijah. If a Jewish man, or men, needed a dose of inspiration in a difficult time, Moses and Elijah by far would be the two best people for it. So now you know that how important they are. Let's look at the spiritual side. What about God? What is he doing? Why and how does he do it? I want to talk about a glimpse of the future. So first thing that happens, right? Jesus makes a very surprising promise He says, some of you won't die before you experience the kingdom in power. But wait, Rabbi, you just said you're going to die on the cross, and now we're going to see the kingdom before we die? That's kind of confusing, right? But right after that, Mark explains. About a week later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up Mount Tabor. That's the historical, traditional place where this transfiguration takes place. Takes them up Mount Tabor for an unforgettable mountaintop experience, and the first thing that happens is Jesus is transformed. They have seen, by the way, listen, they've seen Jesus do supernatural things. Heal people, raise the dead, feed 5,000. They've seen him do miracles, but every time he did a miracle, it was done in the form of an ordinary man's body. No different from them. He's displayed power, he's displayed authority, but his human form, by the way, prophetically, his human form is unspectacular even by human standards. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 53 two, for he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. This was the human form of Jesus. Probably no washboard abs. He wasn't Fabio, just an ordinary, average-looking guy when they see Jesus transformed. And every Jew knows when God manifested himself in the Old Testament, it was always in the form or accompanied by incredibly brilliant, radiant light. The Greek word that we're studying today is metamorpho. It's a passive present verb. It means to change into another form. It is an interesting word. <coughs> it's a compound word. Meta means change. Meta, you see the beginning of that? Meta means change. And morphe means visible. A body that you can see. And so what this word means is his outward appearance, the body you can see, is transformed. Metamorpho, it's a change of appearance. And the scripture says, as if if you read the passage, not only was it changed, he was brilliant, radiant, as bright as anything ever on the earth. You know, this word is only used four times in the New Testament. I did not want to list them all. I'm just going to give you my favorite one. You ready for this one? This is the same word used in this passage. <clears throat> and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being metamorphosed being changed, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The same word describing the presence of Jesus on the mountain is the same one that Paul uses to describe us in glory. Isn't that cool? It's very significant, and we'll talk more about that later. These men see glorified Jesus... It's the same glorified Jesus that we will see one day. It's a miraculous look into the future of Messiah. And something else happens. They're talking about the cross. Once Moses and Elijah arrive on the scene with this transfigured Jesus, they are having a discussion with Jesus, an important discussion. And actually, the Gospel of Luke tells us what the topic is about. And behold, two men were walking with, or talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Translation, his death on the cross. See, the biggest obstacle, excuse me, (coughs) the biggest obstacle to their acceptance of Jesus' plan is their flawed understanding of Moses and the prophets. See, they thought Moses and the prophets were talking about destroying Rome and restoring the kingdom. But Moses and Elijah are there talking with Jesus. They're not talking about Rome. They're talking about the cross, about Jesus dying. The two most trustworthy Jewish sources standing alone with glorified Jesus discussing his death. It's a powerful image. It's a powerful sight. It's a powerful story. And then we have something else happen. We have the father's voice. If all that wasn't enough, there's one more little addition. You can imagine, right? Peter's probably pretty excited. Peter, the spokesman. I know you're shocked, but Peter says something. Isn't that stunning? I mean, he's excited, and who wouldn't be? He wants to stay there. I mean, he's just heard about all the suffering, and now he sees Moses and Elijah, and he says, you know, Jesus... I mean, we're right here at the door to heaven that you've opened up for us. We see you glorified. We see Moses and Elijah. Here's my idea, Jesus. Just hear me out. How about we just skip the cross? Just set up the kingdom right here, right now. Build three tents. This is our new capital, right on top of the mountain. We can take Rome from here, high ground, Look, don't be too harsh on Peter. Verse 6 says he was nervous, adrenaline rushing, and the scripture says he didn't have full control over his thoughts. I mean, he just says something. But then the most intimidating part of this scene takes place it's the father. And as Peter says, Here's my idea, skip the cross, let's go ahead and set up our new capital right here. God comes through, Jehovah, and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter enough shut up let it go it's not gonna happen this is the plan poor Peter (laughs) you know he just got called Satan a few (laughs) verses ago and now God's saying Peter shut up (laughs) then as suddenly as they all appear Moses and Elijah and the father they're all gone and it's Jesus back to his normal state the preview is over The cross is coming. It cannot be stopped. It is their reality. But this moment is so special. Matter of fact, I love what John Calvin says describing what the transfiguration was for. His transfiguration did not altogether enable his disciples to see Christ as he is now in heaven, but gave them a taste of his boundless glory such as they were able to comprehend. I wonder how often these men remembered this scene later. Remember when they all ran scared after Jesus was arrested? Remember when Peter said, I will never leave you, Jesus, and then later on he denied him three times? I wonder if his mind went back to this incredible moment. Remember later after Jesus ascended into heaven and ministry would get really tough? You know they remembered this moment, right? Every time it got hard. As bad as things would get, and they are going to get worse, we're going to be looking at them, you know they remembered this mountaintop experience, hoping for this glorified Jesus to come back. So that's the theological part. Isn't that cool? Let's talk about the personal. I want to talk about God moments. So this was my Sunday Sermon preview this week when we did the uh, social media campaign. I think you at home, you can see the PowerPoint down there. If I'm pointing to it, that'd be pretty cool. I've never pointed to it down there on the screen, but there it is. (laughs) Miraculous God moments are wasted when merely celebrated as earthly blessings. Their real power is experienced when they're seen as future promises. What they experienced was something far away. Right? The glorified Jesus is far away. But for a moment, it was brought near. And we have those same moments too now, from time to time, don't we? To some degree or another. Maybe not to that degree. Those moments in our life when our Lord intervenes through the pain, through the agony of life, through the muck, through the mire, and He reminds us hey, I'm real. Moments his presence in our life is unmistakable, his glory revealed in some unexpected way, often in ways we really can't describe or expect. You can't plan these. Well, you know, I've got lunch at noon and I've got an appointment at 1.30 and at 2, I've got a God moment. It doesn't work that way. They're out of our control. <clears throat> but what they are, unmistakably, is they are glimpses of the kingdom. So why and how does God use these little kingdom glimpses in our lives? Like on that mountain, Jesus can lead us through our circumstances, through our emotions, through what we're feeling and what we're thinking. He leads us to moments in our life that are like doors that open into eternity just for a little bit. We get a peek and then it's closed. See what I'm saying? It's far away, but right here. It's just on the other side of that door. Uh, matter of fact, read this verse in Acts chapter 17. I love this verse. <clears throat> and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods as the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way through toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Isn't that brilliant, the way that is written? We are trying to feel our way through this life, but knowing even as we feel and seek, he's not that far. And this comes through coincidences, miracles, maybe it's someone's words at the right time, a dream perhaps, I've had that kind of experience, a surreal private moment, It's any number of ways these God moments can take place. And that God door opens just enough for us to get a glimpse of something we desperately need at that point, or we'll need later, to keep going. Keep trusting. Keep hoping. Now listen, after this experience, things did not get easier for them. It got worse. But they made it. And we too, just like in this passage, and just like the disciples, we grope our way through this world, right? Trying to feel our way through it spiritually, right? You get that? You feel what I'm talking about there? And our Jesus, who is a sympathetic Savior, he knows this. He knows we need help. Every once in a while, a glimpse into the future. There are moments, Jesus says to us, in these times where the door cracks open a little bit, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know the world hates you because you love me. And I know sometimes, often, frankly, it seems like nothing can go right in this wretched, fallen world. Plans keep getting crushed. People let you down. But listen, as hard as it is, right on the other side of this door, the kingdom is right here. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is now. Keep going. Keep trusting. Here's a taste. And these moments can transport us, right? They can transport us for a short time into the reality of the kingdom of heaven, even if it's just for a second And it gives us a taste of our future glory. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? And from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're in heaven and we're awaiting our Savior who will, what? Same word, transform us. Metamorpho, transform us. Transform our lowly body to be what? Like his glorious body, like the one they saw on Mount Tabor by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Man, Paul can write, can't he? It comes through those coincidences. I call them coincidences. It comes through the miracles, words, all those things. And when you have those God moments, like Peter, right? Our first thought is, things are going to be okay. God's right here with me. He's got my back in this life. But that's not always going to be the reason for these moments. It's not just to say, ah, don't worry about it. Tuesday will be fine. We have no idea what Tuesday will bring. But we know one thing, no matter what Tuesday brings, heaven, the kingdom, is right there. See, we want to focus on the bliss of the moment, right? It's very tempting. We want to make it last. We want to sometimes, we try to recreate it. Fight to get it back. When we do that, when we long for those moments, you know what it really is? It's actually pretty cool. It's a sign we're homesick. We want what's on the other side of that door. But focusing on only the temporary benefit like Peter was doing, when he said, hey, let's just make this our capital, it limits the full intended impact of those God moments in our life. See, these God moments, you guys remember we studied a little bit of Jeremiah 29.11 and how many people have misinterpreted that to think it means a future on earth, like blessings on earth, and it has nothing to do with now. It has everything to do with the other side of that door. These God moments are designed as reminders or inspiration to give us confidence in our future hope, which is what Jeremiah 29.11 promises. I have a plan for you, a hope for the future. He's talking about what's right on the other side of that door. These things, these God moments, they're a peek into eternity of enjoying Him forever in a glorified state when we're no longer sinful. We're no longer flawed. We're no longer limited by these bodies. We no longer have a limitation of what we can understand or comprehend about God or His creation. We have the most surreal self-awareness that we could ever imagine. When we see ourselves glorified, even though we knew we were sinners, and then Christ died for us while we were sinners, he has transformed us, made us alive into his image. And for the first time on the other side of that door, we say, wow, it was worth the wait. Imagine the joy we're going to experience that day when we see him as he is and all our hopes are realized all at once and the door never closes again. We are completely and fully satisfied All anxiety, all depression, all worry, all pain, all suffering completely melt away in his glorified presence. And not only that, along with Moses and with Elijah and all the other saints, we will take on the glorified likeness just as he is. Yes, life here is hard. And for some of you, it is harder than others. But we get these glimpses of our future in all of its different forms. Perhaps maybe you're experiencing one right now as we speak. A reminder to fix your eyes on the kingdom. Which seems like far away, but it's right here. To fix your eyes on our future, our hope, so that we together can endure any suffering, any hardship to come in this life as we follow our Messiah, Jesus. These moments, guys, they're gifts from God that inspire us to live with eternity in sight until we are able to escape this world for the one just beyond the door. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for those moments that you manifest yourself in some way. through somebody's words, through somebody's actions, through a miracle, whatever it may be, a dream, we don't know. And we can't plan them. If we would, we'd plan them every hour probably. (laughs) We push that God moment button every time we get a little discouraged. But you send them. Lord, I pray that the next time we experience one, that you would allow us to remember this truth, make us aware of it, and make us stop to say, man, heaven is far away, but it is right here. Here. We thank you so much for those moments. We pray that you would continue to send them as we try to feel our way through this world to the glory that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you guys today. Uh, Continue to uh, keep up with everything we're doing through through the app and everything like that. If you need anything, we've got your back during this time. We love you guys and have a great week.